I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. And then Steph walks by and he kind of like pinches her on the butt as she walks by. <laughs> I'm very, very good, actually. Uh, any particular reason for that? or No. Uh, I mean, yes, the enthusiasm is not normal. I'm usually just very good. Um, but I'm, <laughs> the, the year is kind of over as far as a lot of work is concerned. So uh, I've been on the road, I feel like, for about five months, which uh-huh. I think I have been. <laughs> yeah. uh, I've been to Asia and back twice in a month. Um, right. I have just watched the New York Marathon, so I feel like I've sort of run that. Great. Um, so it's just, I had a great burger today. So, you know, life is good. It's going pretty well. Uh, you were yeah. very recently in Oklahoma City where you finally tracked down one of the players, coaches, analysts, superstars uh, who I've been begging you to get on the show, Lindsay Davenport. I did, yes. Lindsay uh, and I did a charity event uh, fundraiser in Oklahoma City for the Oklahoma City uh, tennis um, facility, actually, so to help you know, some of the underprivileged kids there do what we love, which is play tennis and uh, have a lifetime of tennis. So it was really fun and uh, raised a lot of money. And uh, thanks to Lindsay being there. So, um, yeah, and then I grabbed her and I said, Lindsay, we had about an hour up our sleeve in the day. We were a very full day. And I said, perfect time, Lindsay, for you to do the podcast. She was going to do it for me in Singapore. And then uh, instead I grabbed her in uh, Oklahoma. It was great. It was great. You guys have... Um, in a lot of ways, sort of similar careers. You played at some of the same time. You talk a little bit about playing each other. You've had excellent careers. You more storied than her on in the commentating booth. That's something that she's been doing the last couple of years. And now you're both coaches, which is great because you talk about all of those things. Yeah, it is funny that our lives, our careers were paralleled for a long time, except hers was way better than mine. <laughs> I was, I was going to um, let you say just... that part. I mean, I'm glad that you sort of said that, you know, we had parallel careers, which is the biggest load of shit I've ever heard. But um, she won a, a lot more than I did and was an incredible singles player, obviously um, world number one for many, many uh, years, end of year, number one. And yeah, we, we played against each other once at the Australian Open and uh, we played against each other in doubles a few times. But um, overall, I've known Lindsay for a long, long time. And yeah, both doing coaching and a lot of commentating. She's one of the best commentators in the game, that's for sure. She and really I, I is. I do enjoy listening. You yeah. both are so technical, which is why I live listening to both of you you guys really help those of us good or not on the couches really understand what we're watching which i think is the best possible thing that a commentator could do and but you both do it really well um lindsay is so funny she's dropping f-bombs she's a mom of four and she's so cool she seems uh much more of the relaxed californian vibe than you would get 
when you grew up watching her like I did, uh, just watching her play like the greatest Wimbledon final of all time, for example, she's pretty chill and funny. Well, yeah, she's a Southern cowgirl. But yeah, I'll tell you what, one of the things that she was concerned about when I asked her to do the pod was she's like, oh, I'm not, the, I, I, I'm not funny. I want to be funny. Like, I, you know, I'm like, wait till you hear some of the stories that she tells. They're hilarious. You're not going to believe it. All right, before we go, um, we should mention our illustrious fashion correspondent. You and I have had mm-hmm. the great privilege of hanging out with her while she works on her off-season book. Um, can mm-hmm. we? Is she ever coming back to the podcast? You know, the fashion correspondent has taken a little time off, and it's kind of a little bit annoying, actually. Um, although... She is actually quite close to me right now in New York City, and um, I think we might have to demand some uh, further correspondence from her when it comes to any fashion, when it comes to New York. I'll let that I'll let that speak for itself. When she asked me if she could be the fashion correspondent, I said, only if you're going to do it on a regular basis. And, you know, I'll let that speak for itself. All right, we'll have to get her on when she's back into town, giving us a full report on New York City and the upstate writer's retreat in which she finds herself. Um, but until then, I guess you're going to have to listen to this Lindsay Davenport interview and laugh your ass exactly. off. Exactly. Enjoy it, everybody. It's a beauty. Hi, everybody. Uh, Lindsay Davenport is joining me for this episode of The Racket Magazine. From Oklahoma City. From Oklahoma City, <laughs> where we are attending uh, an event to fundraise some money for the Oklahoma City Tennis Center. Um, so, Lindsay, first of all, thanks for joining me. Um, I haven't really thought about what I'm going to talk to you about, but I figured that between the two of us... We have enough history. We'll be able to get through <laughs> this without a lot of thought. 20, what is it, 26, 27 years? My first pro tournament I played was 1991. So 91-92, I'm sure we would have met for the Where first time. That? My first one I played was, um, there used to be a tournament La Costa. So I was 15. I had won the Nationals that summer in the 18s, and they gave me a wild card into Qualies in San Diego. So played down there. 15. Yeah, God. What year was that? 91. Yeah, so I was, yeah, I was already playing out there. I was not long out there. 89, I think, was my first Wimbledon. 90 might have been my first US Open. But basically what I'm saying and what, you're both say, what we're both saying is that we're both old and we've known each other a long time. We played a really long time ago. <laughs> we did. I actually played you once in singles, right? Is that it? At the Australian Open. Was that the only... Yeah, I think that was the only time. Yeah, yeah. But you stopped shortly after. Yeah, play. not long after. A couple yeah. of years maybe after that. Yeah. It was probably losing to you that threw me into retirement. No. Right? no. <laughs> I'm joking. I remember that match. I was so freaking nervous playing you because it was a big stage for me. Centre Court, US... 96? No, what year? Might have been. Something like that. Yeah. 90, 96 or 7. It was a year I was playing pretty decently in singles. And... I'd won my first round, and then I played you, and I was shitting myself. On Rod Laver Arena. On Rod Laver Arena. And I actually started playing really well, and I thought, oh, my God, am I actually winning this set? And then I came to reality really quickly, and you killed me. I want to know, you come from a a family of volleyballs, really. How would you get into tennis, and why? It was a little bit by luck. Um, You know, my dad was a volleyball player. He met my mom playing volleyball. Both I had two older sisters. They both played volleyball. So I think in my family, it was when as soon as I got old enough, I was just going to play volleyball. I spent all my weekends at junior tournaments, which my mom ran. I spent weeknights at college volleyball matches, which my dad was then officiating. So it was kind of our whole family's life revolved around volleyball. Um, But, you know, I was five or six, and at those times, and even now you don't start volleyball more till you're 
organized volleyball to your nine, ten, even getting older. So it was okay. What are we going to do with Lindsay? Until then, I like to be active. Um, so tried swimming. My hair turned green. I used to be. A, I'm, I was a blonde when I was little. What? Uh, yeah. Yeah. I'll show you photos of when I was little. Total toehead. Turned my hair green. Um, I tried soccer and I got kicked in the shin and had to get stitches. I can't find the scar. And so I told my mom I never wanted to play soccer again. And so then it was like, okay. Yeah. So then it was like, okay, there's a tennis uh, clinic after school, started in kindergarten, and then just kind of kept going with the tennis. Wanted to always play, played against the garage. And at the time, my parents really liked it because of my sister's. Played against the garage. Yeah, I would come the home wall. and hit against the garage. Yeah, that was my version of the wall. Don't you think that that like most uh, parents and even kids to this day don't realize like how important it is to hit against a wall? And at the club that we had, um, my mom was playing a little recreationally. There was also a wall. So you know, back then, I mean, we never had a babysitter. I mean, mm. I had two older sisters, and you just seemed like in that era, maybe more, you followed your parents everywhere. Yeah. And it was okay. We're going to the club. Mom has a tennis match. And I would just go against the wall. And they had one at the club. I would then come home and hit against the garage. And you just play and play and play. And that's kind of just started this whole process of where I separated myself from my family in a, in a different sport. Yeah, that's. I think it's so interesting why people end up where they are, right? Playing a sport. I you mean, have no... The, everyone... And I feel like that in tennis, too. You There's... Everybody has this weird, different story of how they started. I love the Williams sisters with Richard seeing it on TV. Yeah. It was like, that's what I want my daughters to do. Capriati, I remember telling a story how her dad was super into it when she was little, had her doing sit-ups at a really young age and started having her play young. And other players get into it accidentally, like myself. And so I always find it fascinating to see the origin of why a player started playing something draws all of us crazy people to the sport and we're all a little bit off yeah. to want to hit the same ball like a thousand oh, times by yourself every afternoon yeah. um, but I think that's what kind of brings us at the end of the day all together what do you think is it about like a t- a tennis or, or do you do you have a lot of parents come to you and go how do I get my kid to you know what sport should I pick for them or whatever do you think that with tennis it is such an individual sport you have to sort of you have to have that personality where you're okay being alone a little bit. Totally, you're a little. Most most players are a little bit of a loner, or they're they're not uncomfortable or afraid to be alone. Um, anyone who's really good, there's there's rare exceptions. I I mean, Andre talked about it in his book. Most players love it because to want to get out there by yourself, and especially at the ages between. Like, what do you think, 13 and 16, 13 and 17? That's the hard time. Especially for, I feel like for girls who maybe are getting more social or they start getting into other things, they're like, why would I want to go be on a tennis court by myself with maybe getting yelled at, hitting the same ball a thousand times? It takes but is a it certain... important, I think, earlier, like 8, 9, 10, to be around other kids on the tennis court? Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. Well, you, you have to be. You have to be. But there comes a point when, when you want to get better, it becomes a little bit more focused to just that player individually. And that's when you see a lot of, I feel like, a lot of teenage girls drop out. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not that much fun. So I, yeah. I feel one thing off topic is trying to get it more fun throughout this whole junior process. I mean, we start the kids at 7 years old, 8 years old, playing a tournament match like a pro would play a tournament match. Yeah. And you're like, oh, what's the score? Don't, and it's like, okay, let's just rethink the whole junior philosophy. Again, another story. <laughs> but um, have it more fun. We'd keep more people in the sport. 
Who were your uh, like peers growing up um, in juniors? Um, in the juniors. Oh, that's funny. So I remember playing a junior tournament in Fullerton. I was telling my husband this the other day, and I was in the 12 and unders. My dad, who uh, 6'8", he was really big and loud, and he only took me to like a few tournaments because he would get so loud, and he would like get frustrated at me, but not like in a crazy tennis parent way. Like, oh my gosh, how do you miss that? And I could hear him like three chords down. Yeah, he was really loud. So it didn't take me long to turn around and just be like, you're not taking me anymore. Um, But he, (laughs) we're at this one tournament in Fullerton, it's big Southern Cal tournament. And he yelled at me to come over and watch Debbie Graham. Mm. Debbie Graham was, is also six foot two, played a big game. I think she had already signed with Stanford. Mm -hmm. She was like, you know, one of the top players in the 18s and he was like you you need to watch her play I don't know if I was I, I don't know how many years between Debbie and I'm, I'm pretty sure I was in the 12 and under. she had the biggest serve big serve and played a big style of tennis now I'm almost 6'3 I was always really tall for my age so it, it was nice I mean my dad was like here is another really tall girl look at how well she's doing and how she plays um, but funny I always say as I was coming through kind of making that transition I mean I grew up with Chris and Martina, they played completely different styles from me. Yeah. It really took Jennifer, Capriati. my same age. We were both born in 76. She broke through in the pro level at 13, 14. Yeah. She was a bigger hitter. Monica Sellis was a bigger hitter. Those girls, for me, when they started breaking through and being successful, that gave me like more hope. Okay, somebody, other players that are hitting hard at this level, it's not about making every ball. Or it's yeah. not about running everything down. It became more, okay, they're hitters. Power. They can make it. Power. Yeah. Uh, God, you were, uh, I mean, for me, and still to this day, I think you are possibly the purest hitter of the tennis ball I've ever seen. Like, literally. I remember, I think you and I played doubles uh, one time, and you hit, oh my, I actually was in the oldies, so, you know, we had a bit of an excuse, but <laughs> you, you, you actually framed a forehand, and you went, oh my God, I don't think I've ever done that. <laughs> I mean, but it's actually true. I mean, for me, that's all I did on my forehand was pretty much frame it. So I needed to, like, you know, let you know that it's normal. Um, but, like, what if you had to describe yourself, like, what made you a great player? Um, like, what's something that people probably don't realize? Like, I, I have my thoughts, but what yeah. <laughs> that's That's interesting. Um Oh, I don't love to self-analyze, but I, I mean, I obviously hit the ball well. I think I was pretty aware of my weaknesses, which I think you have to be as a player, and knew that maybe covering the court and movement wasn't, wasn't a strength. So how do you then take that away? Got to hit your targets. You've got to hit the ball well. I mean, I grew up with Robert Lansdorp, who was like a second father to me from the ages of eight to about 14 or 15. And we'd just spend hours hitting the same shot. Mm-hmm. And it would be, if I did not hit this this tiny little target on the court, you know, I'd have to do it for hours until I could hit it time and time again. And so I think it really taught me about placement. Um, I don't know. You know, I didn't grow up with a tremendous amount of self-confidence. I've always been a little bit insecure. Um, I... It, it sometimes puzzles me. I think I... I really? Yeah. It puzzles yeah. you why you were so good? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I, I, I liked playing. I think I, I took into tact- account tactics more than people maybe thought. Yeah, I know that about you. Yeah, I mean, but, you were a really great student of the game, which makes you a great commentator now. Well, we'll see, but uh, it just... No, I, we don't need <laughs> to see. We saw. I saw. Anyways, so I would, I would try and go out there actually with a really good understanding of my opponent. 
and what if things were happening maybe before the match, why that would be the case, try to make those adjustments, where I wanted to serve. And, and I tried to think more than maybe it appeared. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know. I Everything happened much bigger and better than I ever dreamed. I was always too scared to dream, like, oh, I'd be a Grand Slam champion. It's like, oh, I like playing. Oh, I hope I can go to college. And so I was always, I, I wish, I grew up with a lot of fear and kind of doubt and I wish I, I hope I can change that in my kids. And I wish, I mean, we were talking earlier today, what you could go back and tell your younger self. And I immediately thought, wow, it's, it's okay. You can, you can believe in yourself. You can dare to dream big. Um, you don't have to be so concerned of worst case scenarios. Okay. So I want to then go back to just discussing that. If you could go back, do you think, um, you should have won more. You know, people say that, and it's funny. It took my and husband. I'm talking about. I'm talking about Grand Slam. No, I know. Because I know you for won sure. A sh- How many tournaments did you win? WTF. Fifty five. That's and, a lot. And only three majors. And then you see other players. I think Muguruza. I'm going to get this wrong. Has like two majors and only six titles or yeah. seven, whatever it is. Yeah. Or there's some players that have one major and no other tournament. Yeah. Oh. So it's a weird combination. I I don't know. My husband when we when he started to get me know he's like Jesus. It's a fucking miracle you won any. <laughs> I was so negative and like I. I mean, I would go out, like, worried I wasn't going to get a game. And he would be, like, in the beginning, he's like, what are you talking about? You're ranked two right now. Like, what do you mean? And I'd be was like... That, was, that a, was that a defense mechanism? I don't know. It felt real. <laughs> it felt <laughs> absolutely real and the anxiety um, about it all. But, I mean, you look at the numbers and you look at the opportunities. Sure, I definitely could have, should have. But, like, at the end of the day, I mean, I couldn't believe that I could even win three. And that's... That was my biggest weakness was was the mental part of it and accepting that or giving into I should be great or be, do better or whatever. Mm-hmm. Okay, so take me back to the moment that you ran up to that ball at the U.S. Open. That was your first. Right? <laughs> that was my first. Yeah, you know, and of course, like, and now we're getting in. I, we have to get off my topics, but no, like, this a, is, it's no. the it's the Racket Magazine podcast with Lindsay Davenport. No, let's talk about other people. But truly, I mean, I guarantee you, going through my mind is you cannot lose this match having match point. <laughs> So it's like that is a hundred percent what went to you. Totally, of course. And so I think you know, for me, I remember watching that point a couple years ago, and it was like I made like ten shots, which never was the case. It was normally <laughs> trying to get control of the point, but I was like, okay, I'm not going to miss. Um, it was the most emotional one to win there. One because I never really thought that that was going to happen for me. Um, my family had kind of been fractured. My parents had gotten divorced the year before. Um, Everyone was kind of all over the map emotionally about that. We came from a very tight family. Um, my sisters flew in the night before. For whatever reason, back then, I played the semis Friday. This, uh, the final was Saturday. It wasn't like I had a day off. I didn't have time yeah. to think. Which was probably good. Totally. But And I didn't know my sisters were flying in on the red eyes with their husbands. And all of a sudden, I remember walking out on the court, and the box was, like, full. And it was like, oh, my gosh. And then, I, you know, it was, everybody was there, which was obviously really nice. It was my mom's birthday. Um, but I literally, I won and cried. Like, I didn't smile. I just couldn't believe it. I was like, it was overwhelming to me. And um, Can you explain that, why you cried? Because, uh, you know, I actually had someone ask me one time, why did people cry? And I'm like, oh, my God. It's just a, every single emotion comes out. Like, I cannot believe it. Everything was, it, yeah, it's hard to explain. I mean, I cry now seeing people win their first. I always feel like the first is the biggest. And yeah, of everyone dreams of that. And you see it, I mean, we saw it three times this year mm, on the incredible. women's tour. And I cried every single time because you you, 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 you know back. what they go through. Yeah. It's everybody's dream. Um, I, 
when I got the trophy, it was from a USTA president. And, um, Judy Lever? No, it was Harry. Oh, Harry. Harry Marmion. And he looked at me, and he, I saw he had tears coming down his eyes. And so that made me cry more. Yeah. And he gave me a hug, and it's like, I've never been happier to give this to anybody. You know, you get to know these people well. Um, and I almost, I had a superstition also that I would never put a trophy over my head unless it was a Grand Slam one. I know. So for my family and my team, as soon as I did that, they were crying. <laughs> so I started yeah. crying again. Just all these things kind of came through. And I remember raising the trophy above my head going, I can't believe I get to do this. So little, a lot of little things. I look back now and wish I could have just laughed my ass off, but yeah. <laughs> it yeah. didn't happen like that. Yeah, but that's who you were, and that, that describes you and what you were going through as well. I mean, you talk about it was a tough year for you, your family, and you know maybe all the self-doubts that you have about yourself. I think it's really interesting that people have no idea about things like this. Like the things, that, the, the secret demons that you fight. You, Yeah, every player has them. But And then also you have to remember, you know, in a team sport, if someone's going through something, you have teammates that kind of shield you and protect you and maybe take over at certain points when they know you're really struggling. In this sport, people go through an awful lot. I mean, it's life. It yeah. fucking happens. Yeah. And yet, you know, then they're out there playing poorly and we're like, oh, they're not hitting their forehand that well. But you actually have no idea what's going on off the court. You have no idea what they're going through on a personal level, day in and day out. They can't hide. You have to face it. Um, and I think sometimes we lose that, like, that personal emotional touch with, with yeah. people and what they're going through. I mean, nobody really knows what was happening to Novak for all those months. Yeah. You know, you guess and you wonder, but... Uh, and then you hear li years later and it's like, wow, I can't believe a person could yeah. play Go through whatever. It. Yeah. Is there one match that... I, oh, shit, there's plenty I'm sure that you wish you could go back and change but is there one match that you that if you could redo completely I mean the, I lost the Wimbledon final in 05 and had match point to lose a Grand Slam final and have match point is pretty brutal that was against Venus yeah there's not something I would change on that point particular it wasn't but you know that one when you're that close that I one, know what you would have changed you've told me you would have tried to hit it to her forehand. No, at, <laughs> no, you know, surprisingly, I lost the. I feel like I lost the match more at four two. I'd been up. A, I was up a break, yeah. and I think I had a game point to hold or two to go up five two. I feel like that's those. Sometimes the crucial moments are a game or two before. Yeah, Hingis and I talked about it. Hingis had some match points, maybe in an Australian Open Against final. Capriati. Yeah, and she was like, I go, yeah, it was tough. I also really wanted to win one married, and that. Mm. Um, I was married in, in 2005, lost the Australian Open final, and then the Wimbledon final, having match point. It was tough, yeah. you know, and I give shit. I mean, Halep, everything that she had to go through till she won her first, yeah. it's rough. You'd almost rather lose in the semis, to be honest, yeah. and not be as close and I, not get it. I have to say, though, um, having known, known you so long and known sort of the arc of your career and knowing you as, uh, personally, I, I still, and I've told you this, that the match that you lost against Venus was actually, I think, one of your greatest matches. Because um, I think you would be the first to admit that a lot of the, some of your matches that you lost in Grand Slam level, you kind of mentally shut down. Yeah, for because sure. Because it was, it was your defense. I didn't lose a lot of matches also uh, playing well and trying my ass off from first point to last point. And maybe that's why it hurt even more. Yeah, <laughs> I, 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 that was the first really big match that I saw you never give up. Yeah. Like, there was never a moment where you were like, ah, you know, give the hand flick or, you know, kind of <laughs> kind of mentally shut down, right? I mean, listen, everybody has their defense mechanisms. Yeah. We see Halep get no, pissed course, off. We see, course. you know, everybody deals with it. But that was one match that I remember thinking, 
that the reason it had to hurt at the time was because you felt like you did everything you could. Yeah. But I also think it's probably one of the proudest. Matches. For sure, but you'd still rather yeah, you'd still course. rather have four Hell. than three. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, let's so, get into gossip. Wait, 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 wait. Okay, so yeah, let's get into gossip because going back to the first Wimbledon title you won. Yeah. Okay, tell us that story. Well, it was a crazy, crazy Wimbledon. First of all, it rained all the time. Yeah. Everyone was backed up days. There was, there was not a roof on center court. There was no plans. Um, so, you know, and I was getting kind of lucky with the schedule. I was first on, I would get well, a match in. Well, you were playing doubles. Well, and mixed. And mixed. And so I was scheduled first. So you weren't my... lucky. Well. They had no choice. Yeah, so I was always scheduled first. For instance, I remember around a 16 day, I believe I was the only match on the whole schedule to finish. And then it rained for like two straight days. Yeah. You know, so little things like that were kind of happening. But so I was in doubles and in mixed. And I think we were on like the second Wednesday, maybe. Mm-hmm. Maybe even Thursday. And at this point, I think I'm in the quarters of singles, the quarters of doubles, and the third round of mixed. And we were supposed to play Steffi and McEnroe, and I was playing with Todd Woodbridge. And my coach was like, listen, you have, like, trying to convince me, you have a chance here to win the singles. You're still in doubles. We're coming into Friday. The weather still sucks. Like, you got to get out of the mix. And it was like, oh, God, Woodbridge, he's going to kill me. Like, I feel so bad. And then they're trying to get us to go play on center court. Anyways, it was kind of a mess. So I'm like, okay, I'll pull out of the mixed. I literally go, and Todd is warming up out on his match to play men's doubles, three oh. out of five sets. Oh. And I'm like, oh, God, I'm, I'm going to wait. So then the referee at the time, Alan Mills, calls me into his office, and there's Steffi standing in the referee's office, you know, like tapping her foot, hand on <laughs> hip. Like, so what's, what's going to happen? I'm like, well, I'm going to pull out, but hold on, Todd's on the court. It's only 3-2 in the first. And she's like, yeah, but we got to play. I got to go on and play, and the winners were already waiting, so the, the referee's like, "Can we're going to pull you out now. And I'm like, I have to tell Todd. They're like, he's like, I have to play this match. Steffi's still in singles. Venus was still in singles. The winner played, I think, I just Venus want, I and just Justin. I just want to stop you for one second. The fact that you and Steffi and Venus are still in singles and doubles and mix. Yeah. Can we just, yeah. like, think about that for a second? Yeah, Steffi was playing with McEnroe, too. Yeah. Venus was still in. She was playing with Justin, so I'm like, they wanted to play that match badly. So I'm like... Okay, you know, I'm like, okay, fine, uh, go on and play. Well, the story goes, Todd's now in the second set, and you can see the scoreboard from that back court. It was like court 10, and up now on center court, that scoreboard you could see, it was Graf McEnroe versus Gimbelstab Venus. He's like, oh, great. So that's how we found out I pulled out on him in the mix. Was not happy after. I sent a note to the locker room apologizing. I tried to explain. And you know Todd, he, he's a good sport about it now, but he has not forgotten. And he's not happy with me um so that was like one thing that happened i actually felt bad about that then it rained so much the final was actually on a sunday and the men's final was right behind us more rain was coming they're doing everything they can to finish this i was in the singles and doubles final women's singles 12 noon doubles to follow immediately on court one andre and pete were in that final july 4th right after the women's final so it was like kind of a hustle out there um I do remember, I, I won the first set, and it was three all in the second set, I believe, when the rain came. And we had a pretty short rain delay, maybe like 30, 40 minutes. And I remember that's right when I had just begun to start panicking. <laughs> I'm like, oh my God, I'm getting close. I'm getting close. That rain delay really helped me a lot. I remember my coach, Robert, like just really subtly just saying like, and, and it's weird, like 
people say things, oh, you got this, you can do it. And that wasn't his way. And I remember him just looking at me, was like, you got to breathe. You can win this. And that's all kind of, and we talked a little strategy, but like real calmly, like, and I remember like kind of resetting, like, okay, I can win this. I can go out and do it. Um, ended up winning. Same thing, like super emotional crying. None of my family was there. My mom was working a volleyball tournament in the States. And I went down to my seat and I was like in shock. I couldn't believe it. Like trying to catch my breath. And I'm like, oh, I, I'm, I'm going to go to the box. Like, isn't that what you do here? And I start to walk and I felt like a hand on the back of my shirt kind of pulled me back. <laughs> yes. And he's like, no, no, no. Nope, we give yep. the trophy here. Exa- cool. Well, and we're hustling this trophy, not in a mad, bad way, but he's like, I think the Duchess was already down on the court. He's yeah. like, you're too late now. So just sit here. I'm like, oh, okay, no problem. <laughs> we do this trophy ceremony, uh, ceremony obviously awesome. We're coming off the court, and as you know, Bud Collins, rest his soul, um, would interview us as you were walking off the court. Well, they put, we walked off the court together, Steph and I, and they pulled her aside first. And right there waiting were Pete and Andre ready to come on the court. So it was kind of like nerve-wracking anyways. Like I was the ball of adrenaline because I'd won. They're waiting to come out. Steph is getting interviewed by Bud. And... Um, I remember standing there, and Pete, who I had grown up with in the same town, he was a little bit older, um, came walking over to me a couple feet and was like, con- "Like that's so great, congratulations, I'm really happy for you. And I remember going, oh my gosh, thank you so much. And I remember Andre not saying a word, no problem, they're getting ready to play a women's, uh, men's final. Right then, Steph finishes. Which is unusual because he's usually, of course, yeah. he's usually the guy that's always like, well done. Of course. And, very and philosophical <laughs> and congratulations. And he's all of a sudden, he's like blank. blank yeah, a you. little bit. Yeah, uh, for sure. But again, it's a lot going on right there. Like as you walk well, on the center court. Well, you're not thinking about it too much. No, I, I definitely remember, like it's like that awkward. Do I say something? No, okay, whatever. And then Steph walks by and he kind of like pinches her on the butt as she walks by. (laughs) And I remember I remember going, Wow, that's weird. And then I did my interview with Bud. Didn't you know the guys go out to go play, didn't think anything of it. And it comes out like two or three weeks later we're at a tournament in La Costa and Martina Hingis is like, Andre Agassi's here. Like I heard he went to Steffi's room. I'm like, what is going on? And then of course at the US Open it like comes out that they're dating and the rest is like tennis. Legend history, but yeah. I remember standing there at the entrance to center court being like that. Oh my goodness, what is what going is on? Going on? And it. forgot Very about it immediately until like about two months later. I was like, oh, I get it. Do you remember? Do you remember? Actually, this is for me to know, but did, did Steffi laugh or was she like, no, oh, she was kind of busy. Yeah, she lost which and she, she had just much. told Bud Collins and NBC that she would never be back at Wimbledon. So I think for her, by she wasn't didn't really know if she was retiring right then. She played one more tournament, retired, and that was the end. But she had just made this announcement that she would never be back at Wimbledon, yeah. and then had lost and kind of walked off. And I think she was kind of she re- didn't stop. The rest is no. She trick. kept walking, but so still the, the ass pinch was the beginning of. Uh, it made yeah. sense two months later at the Open yeah. when they kind of were than known to be dating. That is such a great story. Yeah. And you know the greatest thing about that is only three people, maybe four, maybe Pete was watching. I that. wonder if Pete picked up on that. Maybe yeah. not. There's He's only focused four first people match. that knew about that, <laughs> that moment, and you're one of them. That's so cool. Yeah, went over my head for a little while. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. 
In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Right, so so you win there, uh, you win in Australia, and I I just want to take a little bit of credit here. Okay. Yeah, you did because we joked about it the whole tournament. Hinga said won how many doubles and how many? She singles? won three doubles tournaments yeah. and three singles in a row in, in a row Australia. in Australia. Never yeah. lost a match in Australia ever in singles or doubles. And you had lost to her in doubles a couple of times, right? Yeah, with yeah. Lisa one time. I'm sure. And she beat everyone. She beat me a couple of times. And then Lisa and I won our first Grand Slam in 2000, beating Martina Hingis in the final. And after we won that match, you were to play her the following day in singles. And I have to say, hold on. In 98 and 99, I lost semifinals in Australia. I lost to Conchita one year. I lost to Moresmo the next year. I was, I think, favored to win both of them. Martina then went on to beat them easily in the previous final. Yes. I had beaten Jennifer in 2000 in the semis, and I remember going, like, finally. Yeah. Like, get through to get to play her in an Australian Open final. And then you guys played the doubles final Friday. We did. Yeah. And we won. Yes. That was the first match she lost in Australia. And I'm pretty certain that it's it helped bring her confidence level <laughs> down to the point that it allowed you then to win. Because, you know, that's all Definitely you get some credit. I'll give you some credit there. That match, I almost had one of the biggest chokes of history, though. I was up 6-1, 5-1. I know. And it got back to 5-all. And it, I'll never forget this point. It was love 15 at 5-all. And at this point, my mind is like, I can't believe this just fucking happened. <laughs> like, I cannot believe it. We were there. We were watching. Yeah, I hit one shot at love 15. Uh, I hit a backhand up the line, either for a winner or she maybe touched it. And I remember that that point kind of settled me back down again, but I was starting to like yeah. definitely spiral. Yeah, yeah. What a great match, God! You won. Did you win every Grand Slam that you won? It was in straight sets. Yeah, right? yeah. When you were good, you were good. Yeah, and then when things would start to go awry, my problem solving skills weren't weren't perfect. <laughs> <laughs> Had to be going perfect. No, or else, I, no, you also said to me yesterday that you lost how many doubles finals? I think I lost. I won three Grand Slam. I think I lost in the finals eleven times. That's just uh, first of all. I, I just want to say how unreal it is that you played so many singles and doubles Grand Slams. Like that, yeah. nobody does that anymore. Yeah, it was it was so great for me, like to learn how to play on a break point in a huge match, right? Or how to take a short ball and come in. often played the back end. Yes, the outside. And, you know, stuff like that. And so the doubles definitely helped set me up for single success. I think that's missing so much now. Mm-hmm. You know, you these players get into the position for the first time. They Some of them are freezing. Mm-hmm. Where I feel like if you have been there in doubles or had a, a little bit of a experience with it, it, yeah. it kind of would help. I mean, it, it shows, too. I mean, you look at someone like a Sam Stozer, who you would not yeah. think would win a Grand Slam in singles. Right. I mean, she was a great singles player when she played well, but she had multiple doubles Grand Slam victories before, before. she won yep. her singles. And she also had, obviously, results in finals and things. Yep. But I definitely think that that helped her. Um, 
Victoria Azarenka won mixed doubles Grand Slams before she won singles Grand Slams. I mean, there's no doubt that for some people it really would help if yep. they did that. I agree. Or Okay, so cut to what was the catalyst for you to pull the plug and retire? Because it's such a hard thing to do, it especially is. when you were still playing. Yeah, I thought, I, you know, I had my son in 2007, and I don't know why. Right when I was, like, seven months pregnant, I waited till that point to think. Did I you could... consciously, like, go and try and have a baby? Yes, we did. So you were like, how old were you when that happened? So, well... I had him when I was 31. Okay. So 30, yeah. yeah. I mean, John and I at that point had been together eight years, mm. and it was like, I wanted a baby, and he obviously was fine with that, <laughs> wanted one too. I was going to say, does he, did he have a choice? Here? Yeah, no. So I really thought I'd be done. And then kind of right when I was like seven months pregnant, I thought, okay, I think I'm going to want to play again. I really miss it. Mm. And it was no problem. He was great with it. Played a year. Um, my knee was not great. Um, during that period, I had gone to Germany and got stem cells from my back to try and from my bone marrow to try and come back. Wanted to play the Olympics. It was like a couple things in there. Um, I never played well on the Grand Slam stage, which I was a little bummed about. Played the U.S. Open um, in a way my knee was not good. And one match, I kind of numbed it up to try and play. Was trying to figure out how to get through it. Came home and it was like, okay, we're gonna. I'm gonna take the fall off. I was tired. It's, getting tough traveling with then a 14, 15-month-old boy. Uh, my husband couldn't travel all the time, so it was away from him. So it was just kind of like a weird feeling. And I went, I was going to go get my knee operated on, had had everything done, and the day before it's like, okay, we need you to come in and do some tests, you know, like the standard stuff. I said, okay. And so then late that night I got a call from my doctor. It was my friend, and it was his cell phone, like, oh, hi. He's like, so you're supposed to come in first thing tomorrow, but I can't operate tomorrow. I said, oh, okay, what's going on? He's like, well, your blood test shows you're pregnant. Oh, my God. Yep, and that was number two. And that yeah. was not, that one we had not been... Planning. Yes, so then... Well, it was, you, you did. Well, <laughs> so it was kind of a nice segue, because I don't know if I would have come back from another surgery. I'd had foot surgery. I'd had a really bad knee injury um, at the end of 2001. So it kind of just worked out perfectly. And that there was little Lauren after that. <laughs> a, a perfect little Lauren. Yeah. Yes. Um... <laughs> Wait, I, I wanted to. There's so many things that we could talk about, but because you're such a what, what gave you the impotence to want to do commentary? Uh, that's funny. So that fall, actually, um, you know, you're pregnant. You don't say anything for the first few months. Um, Tennis Channel in Los Angeles had heard that um, I wasn't playing in the fall, and they asked if I just wanted to come in and do some stuff, and it was local. Um, and so, kind of just, it started that way. It started the fall of '08 when I was pregnant quietly with my second not and excuse me yeah the fall of 08 um and it just kind of grew from there I really have liked it listen I'm I'm not shy of like I love the sport Mm -hmm. it's given me everything I mean I met my husband through it he played we loved playing with our kids I loved watching it like I was a total nerd and fanatic about it and you were a tennis uh you know, you were an analyst when you played. I loved it. Yeah, I liked trying to figure matches out even when I wasn't playing. It was hard for me because if someone didn't play my game style, it didn't matter to me if Amanda Coatser beat Conchita Martinez. I yeah. could never play like Amanda yeah. Coatser, but, it, you know, stuff like that I would get really into. Like, mm-hmm. will they? how will they win this match? So, I don't know. I, I, some players, they, they're either... They don't really love it, but they're so good at it, they keep doing it, or they're afraid to admit it. I don't know. I loved it. I was happy. I'm... I feel like I'm lucky to still be involved in it. Yeah, and then you're very, very good. I mean, no, I mean, seriously. 
there's there, listen <laughs> I'm working television as well so I, I, I appreciate people that are good and you are very good analysts and that's important people appreciate that about you know some ex-players and don't really analyze that great you know but you do so there you go um, I know you're giving me the wrap Edit that. No, I'm giving you the edit that out, but go on. <laughs> go on. No, I'm not editing anything Look how many people out. are texting you. Yeah. Jesus. No, I'm just, it's just a missed informational call. Um, okay, so wait. One thing I did forget about, Lindsay, is the importance of the Olympics to you. Yeah. And maybe what people don't know about you is uh, after you won your gold medal in Atlanta. Atlanta? Yeah. Um, you, you, embra- you really what do you mean? embraced that moment. I don't get it. Well, what, what did oh, you my mean? tattoo. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, no, it, you know, my, my dad was an Olympian. Um, I always say the Olympics in, oh, excuse me, in 84 were in Los Angeles. I was eight years old. And my dad, who, he went, he had a horrible accident in the early 70s and has not been able to bend his knee since. Mm-hmm. So um, that took him out of being active. He then segued into being an official. Mm-hmm. So first of all, I grew up with uh, an official in a sporting in a sport, in my family, it was like nailed into us how you treat officials. I would see my dad get yelled at. Interesting. Yeah. And he was big and strong and tough, but it's not easy when you're like five or six and you're watching your dad get absolutely abused at times. Mm. And he, one time I was in the juniors, his loud voice, arguing with an official and he's yelling down three, you know, two courts later, shut up, Lindsay, (laughs) like go play. I mean, he was, he was tough, but not necessarily about tennis and I come up the court he's like you never question an official that's you so never interesting question. I never knew that that's yeah. why you never really argued I, not really a couple times I did one time um, I wrote an apology note to the official yeah well that like, never definitely happened with <laughs> I mean I did argue and but there was times that it would really it would really hit home so anyways so in the 84 Olympics my dad was the referee for representing the Americas for volleyball my mom was working there too so they literally worked those whole two weeks I never really saw that I have a sister 16 years older, took me around to like every event, you know, and I saw everything. I remember opening ceremonies she took me to and was explaining who lights the torch, all this stuff. And it really became like ingrained in me. I was like, wow, and my dad played in this. This is amazing. Even when I just made the team, it was, and you have to remember the U.S., we had Monica, Jennifer, Mary Jo, Gigi. We had really strong teams. Yeah. This was even before Venus and Serena, right mm-hmm. before they yeah. started breaking through. Only three singles players made it. So even just making the team was a huge accomplishment. Um, and then I won similar. Uh, my family flew in. It was it was pretty awesome. Um, so yeah, shortly after I got like a tattoo on my on my back with the Olympic rings. Yeah. Still there. You actually have more tattoos than people realize. <laughs> actually, you and I were together when you got the I might put kids on your, initials. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's okay. There. Those two things mean the world to me. Yeah. I mean, as time passes, it's you. It's the Olympics, but and a lot of it's happened in my life. But the Olymp- winning the Olympic medal and having my kids are—it's been amazing. I don't regret either of those tattoos. Yeah. Well, I was there for the last one, <laughs> watching you with your face, like. Yeah. I'm like, I think I'd get the writing a little different, but oh well. <laughs> Okay, so you've had some amazing rivalries. I got to play everyone. Starting in 91, I played Navratilova in singles before she retired. Played Groff all through the 90s. There with Venus and Serena, you know, through the bulk of their career. Well, they're playing actually 10 years since I stopped. So for a period of their career. Um, Kim, Justine. um, Hingis. Hingis. Amazing uh, amazing players. I mean, even you go like Arancha Conchita. It's yeah, yeah. been, it, I was pretty lucky to play across. I mean, I played Azarenka in Monica. doubles, Monica all the time. It was, you know. Is it, 
Jennifer. Of, of all of those players, what was the one that you actually, like, I, not only... It wasn't about winning and losing. It was just, I really like this match. Steffi. I yeah. loved it. Yeah. And, you know, I ended up... Why? Because I did way better than I thought I could. I don't know. I think the final record, and I'm going to get this wrong, was like 6-4 and four for Groff. But I won some big matches. We had really close ones that she won. I really loved to play her. Yeah. And it, Why? The slice didn't bother me too much. Mm-hmm. Um, I could hit, at times, hard enough to so where she couldn't just run me around the court with the forehand. Um, And I don't know. It's like one person I just never got negative when I played. Some players Do you think it was what what was coming at you as well? What was coming at me, the reputation, her history, it was like, oh, I can't act like a baby out here. And so it kind of forced me to kind of keep my shoulders up. In the end, like, just maybe a total respect as well. Totally. For for what she had done. Of course. Yeah. That's so interesting. Yeah, and I thought obviously the world of her and it would be like okay it's no shame if I lose two and two. First that I played I think I lost 6-0. I remember being overwhelmed and then I think I lost 7-6 and then after that match was like oh okay I can I can do okay. So it's so fascinating to me that I think it's going to be great for people to know the, the insecurities that players feel even though they're great. I yeah, mean, you were I could write world a book number on one <laughs> for a, do- a dominant period Yeah no and I was always a great junior player like you you are what you are and you try and fake it and you should try and portray being strong and everything else, but essentially it comes down to, you know, who you naturally are inside. And sometimes it's hard to overcome. Sometimes players can't. Sometimes you fight through it. But you know, I didn't grow up believing that I was going to be great, mm. and I never had that self confidence instilled in me. Do you now doing a little bit of coaching with Madison? Um, do you? see yourself as someone that can go, God, I have so much to offer somebody because I was great and I know how to win, but I also know what it's like to be a little bit insecure about myself. Yeah, for sure. It's very hard for me to get close to many people. And so for me to have like a significant relationship, I have to be able to completely open up and be myself. And there's not many people who I'm comfortable doing that with. I mean, who knows why with Madison? I mean, I met her when she was... uh, 18, 19, and we just kind of developed this amazing bond. And whatever, I mean, we don't even have rules now. Like, it's like, it's just like we're, every day goes by, we exchange some kind of communication or whatever. And so I feel like I can help her because I'm not scared to speak out or, but that wouldn't be the case with anybody. I don't know how to say that, but like a junior player or, or somebody that I just meet, it would probably be more, oh no, you can, you know more on the surface, where if I really get to know someone and really like them, and um, I, there's you no give question. 100%. Yes. If you're going to do it, you're going to do it 100%. And so she, I mean, we, I've tried to help her through many things, and there's so many things that have gone on off the court that she's never talked about that she's had to overcome. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, people know about surgeries or this, but she's a lot tougher than people give her credit for, and she's had to overcome a lot, and she has a lot of self-doubt also, mm-hmm. and she's doing a nice job of kind of trying to overcome that in this age it's a lot tougher to play also than when we play absolutely especially with social media and she's exactly. doing a great job with trying to you know the anti-bullying exactly with her girl. fearlessly girl and yep. she has another um i don't know when this is going to come out she's got another huge event coming up um yeah but she i, I, I did that event for her last year in yeah i yeah. think the world of her yeah, she's, she's great and she's you know she's navigating a, a difficult career it's yeah. not so easy no it's not especially someone so good and there's a lot of expectation on her shoulder but she'll get there she'll win a slam there's no doubt about it she's so close um 
All right, something, some fun, like, stories from double, okay. doubles matches. Or... Doubles, okay, there's one kind of crazy story that, you know, I haven't told much. I mean, you would know the story. It's not doubles, but the end of the year in 2001, and I didn't even make a slam final that year, but everyone at the top was kind of doing so well. Like, every all the points were kind of... Spread out. Yeah. So it was right after 9-11 and had to go play in, in Europe. Starts off in Filderstad, quick court, played well, won the tournament, and then I'm like so Drive scared. Drive your Porsche yes. away. No, no. I was so scared to go to Zurich, We and we had tickets, and we're like, okay, we're going to drive to Zurich. A lot of people did. Yeah. Okay, so we drive to Zurich. End up playing well. It's like getting towards the end of the week, and then there's one week off, There's and then the WTA championships were in Munich that year. So my coach is like, do you want to have a week off now that you're doing so well in Zurich? It's kind of hard to go all the way back home. There's a tournament in Linz next week. And I go, and this is how we decided. I go, how far is Linz? I don't want to fly. <laughs> He's like, I think we could drive Easy. it in yeah. a couple days. Yeah. I go, okay, well, let's go to Linz then. So I end up winning Zurich, two tournaments, go on to Linz, drive the six hours over two days, whatever we did, I can't remember. Go to Linz, win Linz. It was kind of like this crazy run. So I've won three tournaments in a row, now going to the WTA finals. And now all of a sudden, I have a chance to finish the year one. Kind of crazy how it all came about. Certain players depended on their results. Anyways, I find myself on semifinal day. If I win, I finish the year one. If I lose, I don't, for whatever reason. I'm playing Kim Kleisters. Four all in the third. And I have break point. And I hit a backhand return line. And I, I'm sure I shanked it late because I could doubt I would step in at that stage for a winner. And Kim bounces her racket, and the chair umpire goes, overruled, out. And I was like, like so it's not my game now. I didn't break serve. I'm like, what? I argued with Anne LaSara Ulrich for, uh, forever. I love that you remember her forever. name. Forever. Well, that's the one I wrote the apology to it. So yelling, arguing with her, whatever. I lose the next two point. Kim's hold. I spend the next whole changeover arguing at four or five now down in the third. So much so the supervisor came out and was like, you got to, like, Turn it down. Yeah, and like... Which is what the umpire should have exactly. done. Exactly. Or the supervisor yep. could have done, too. Yep. They came out and were like, you, you've got to, like... Let it go. Yeah. Anyway, so then we get to a tiebreak in the third set. I'm up 5-1 in the tiebreak in the third. She hits a drop shot. I run up to it. I get to a backhand in the court, and my knee gives out. Yeah. She misses the pass. I was on the ground. So I'm now up 6-1 in the break, or 6-2, whatever it was, holding my knee crying. Like, oh, my God, I can't walk. Walk back, lose the next point. I don't know. I make one serve. I win the match. And I do not smile. I put my head down. Walk to the net. Shake her hand. I've now finished the year one. Put my rack in my bag. I walked off the court. I didn't play again for eight or nine months. Yeah. It's like... Yeah, they had to get an exhibition match in yes. the final. Couldn't play the it final the next Huber, day. who I think had gone out the night before and was hung over. Totally. And they made her play. Yep. I, yeah. I, I mean, it was... I knew immediately. They were like, oh, if you play... If you didn't play, they took away, like, money between the semis and finals. They deducted, like, yeah. 50%. And I remember John, my boyfriend, was like, can you just go out there and fake a set? I go, I, dude, I cannot is feel there, my knees. Is there a funny story that I didn't that play again until, like I said, August the two. of I mean, everyone has year. one. Like, Darren Cahill told a hilarious one about his... Well, you have to listen to the podcast, but um, what is there one story that you remember? I um, mean, gosh, there's like a lot of funny things happen. You kind of forget some. I remember one year at Wimbledon. Don't think it was 99. I think it was the year before. I was playing um, Florencia Labat. Lefty. Nightmare. Yeah, from Argentina. Argentina, which was okay on grass. I mean, but not great to play a lefty. And we were playing on Monday. 
And I remember on maybe starting Saturday night, like I didn't feel great. And, you know, not like nerves. Like I was like, oh, I don't feel right. And Sunday, like I practiced a little bit, but I wasn't feeling well at all. But didn't go to the trainers for whatever reason. And so my coach, Robert, was like, okay, let me see if I can find you something. And again, more things were open, yes, in the 90s than the 80s, but not everything was open on Sunday in Wimbledon Village. So he came back and gave me this, like, medicine for my stomach, like, didn't think anything of it, took it, and probably took more than I was supposed to. And then we were at dinner, and I was like, oh, my God, I feel horrible. And, like, ran out to use the potty or whatever. Anyways, yeah. get back, and I start reading that, it. That just proves you have four kids. <laughs> At the time, no. Go back and start reading it, and it's milk of magnesia, which was like a diuretic. And I, like, literally all night, like, you have no idea. Like, there was nothing left in my body. And I had to play, like, first on. And I remember, like, when I'm like, I, dude, I think you gave me, like, a like something you're not supposed to. It was like a laxative or something. Like, I was like, oh, my God. Moment, and I'm like, my- I feel so, like, I have no energy. I feel like I have nothing. I remember I was up 6-2-5 love. And then I lost two games. And I swear I felt like I'd played like four hours. It was, And he was laughing so hard at me. And I was like, I can't believe this. I'm like, that that was like... Did I'll you never... have to go to the bathroom in the middle of the I think match? I did. Which I think that might have been one of the few times I took a bathroom break. It was like, we laughed for hours and hours after. But it was like so stressed playing that match. Because I knew before the match... I was like, oh my god, I have I have nothing left, it, literally, Especially in my system. Especially all white. Like, oh, oh my god. god, I can't even, oh god, that was, that was, I remember that one. I remember being like, you, so crazy. Do you know there was one story one time with me at the French, this is so disgusting, but, but now we were talking about pooping. Uh, <laughs> I was, uh, before a, fr- a, a doubles match with Lisa, and Lisa, you know Lisa, she was always so prepared, right? She had the, the two of this, and the two of that, and the skirts, and the, you know, soup, everything's packed really well, and... Anyway, I was outside talking to my fitness trainer, and okay, I mean it's kind of gross, but you know when you got a little gas and you're like, I've got a fart, right? Yeah. And I was no, no, everyone was downwind. It was fine. I was like, no one was. He, I was talking to him. He wouldn't have smelled it. It was, and so I was like, I'm just gonna fart. And anyway, I, I didn't fart. I yeah, some, something else happened, <laughs> and I was like, I looked at him and I went. Dave, I gotta go. And he goes, okay, I gotta go, get ready for my match. And so I run, I didn't run because I had yeah, stuff yeah, yeah, yeah. that I didn't want. Uh, this is too much. Info. And I went to the locker room <laughs> and I literally walked up to Lisa and I go, do you have an extra pair of tennis pants? Because remember back yeah, in the day? Yeah, yeah, I used to wear like yeah, the, the extra fancy undies. pants. Yeah, and yeah, stuff. yeah. I go, do you have an extra pair of tennis pants? She goes, yeah, why? And I go, I just shit my pants. <laughs> <laughs> That's a true story. Anyway, uh, anyway, sorry, so, I so we've had to take those. up that topic. Well, you were, you were shitting your pants. Yeah, that. literally. Yeah. No, I, no, not literally for me, literally for you, but yeah. it was like, well, oh my God, been, all night, and been, then like yeah. during the match. No, well, that's a good, not that's good. a good Wimbledon remote. No, no, mm. it wasn't perfect. All right, so another funny story that you were telling me today um, was you have four children. Oh, gosh, yeah. So four kids. I always knew I wanted to name, if I had a boy, Jagger. I don't know why, it just was in, I'm not like a Mick Jagger fan. I like the Stones, but... You know, that was always kind of, I don't know, I thought it sounded great. Um, so John kind of went along with that. And so the second one came, and he was like, oh, I get to choose this one. I was like, no, 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 no. Like, <laughs> that's not happening. I'm giving away <laughs> yeah. way too much. He's like, he's like, well, you chose the first one. I go, no, the second one. And funny enough, he was, like, adamant that the second one be named Olympia. 
And which is super funny now that Serena ended up, I was like, no, I didn't at that time, didn't like it. And I remember actually being <laughs> in the room trying, and my doctor's like trying to calm me down because I'm like, we're not naming our daughter that. Okay, would you stop? <laughs> so we kind of, after four days in the hospital, you have to have a name that stands alone. I go, we do not have to have a name that stands alone. <laughs> we're, we're, just, we're just fine. So we ended up literally settling on Lauren and it was the best I could negotiate. So it was like, he was... Five names, I can't even, it was crazy. So we settled on Lauren. So then we have the third, and he's like, I am basically, I'm fucking naming this kid, okay? It's mine, right? me out. I'm like, oh my God, I have to get like some approval. He's like, okay. So it was like, again, I mean, we're in the hospital for a few days. I had C-sections on all four. It was like day three. And he's like, we have to leave. We're leaving the hospital that day. We still don't have a name. We obviously didn't agree on this. He's like, okay, I really like the name Kaya. I'm like okay, like, I don't love it, but he's like, please, you owe this to me. And I'm like, okay, fine. Just had a third baby of yours. She's 10 pounds. I owe it to you. Okay, whatever. So I'm like, okay, it can be Kaya. I get the middle name, Emery. It's a family name um, of, on my dad's side. So I'm like, okay, Kaya Emery. Okay, okay, I'll go with that. He goes, okay. So get the you have to sign, like, the birth, like, the all those papers in the room, so my husband, who's quite clever and quite mischievous and quite smart, he's like, okay, can we get the papers? Like, and they're like, okay, well, do you want them? Are you going to leave the hospital? Do you want to come back? No, no, we're not leaving until we sign them. I go, okay, whatever. Um, sign the papers. And he all immediately breaks out into this big grin. Because now it's done. Yeah, done. Like, Kaya is Kaya. Yeah, and it was like... And I'm like, why are you laughing? What the, what is going on? And he just starts, thinks it's the funniest thing. He starts laughing, and he's on the couch. I go, like, what? And he goes... Kaya's Bob Marley's nickname for marijuana. I thought that would be just fucking awesome. I'm like, oh my God, you did not just do that. He just like, he's like, yep, I did. And now we're, we're and she's mine. Yeah, exactly. And we're, you're stuck with it and you can't change it. And we're going home now. So then, yeah, that was it. it I don't know why some people really, it like clicks and it agrees and we could never agree on a name. And so. she's, uh, she's, uh, but she's like the, sweetest. we have four kids. Listen. She's the only one that's, well, no, my son's sweet. Wait, could you say that she's pretty mellow? <laughs> exactly. She's like the most loving kid. And I'm yeah. like, well, oh my go, God. I, and I'm going to have to explain to her. Yeah. Her dad But that's her. the coolest thing ever. So There's she's going to really, be the coolest kid ever. A really cool song, Kaya. Yeah. Bob Marley obviously yeah. sings it. And it's actually one of our favorite songs. I haven't told them what I've got to have Kaya now means, but the kids go. all sing it. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the what's the it's the the, the, the movie with the oh they, with the pot with the okay well that was part of the joke that he thought was so funny so okay now I'm 42 years old I have never even seen marijuana like that obviously never smoked it never seen it we were somewhere like I don't know six months ago I was like God it smells what is that he's like oh my God you're so innocent he's like it it's marijuana Lynn's it's, it's marijuana. It's mar- yeah. Oh, so that sick. was, he thought that was really funny. Yeah. <laughs> In his twisted sense of humor. That's classic. And the last child was Haven. Haven, because originally my name, my name, my ancestor's name was Davin Haven when they came over from wherever in Great Britain. On the Britain. Mayflower? Yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> so it was the Davin Haven turned to Davenport once they got over here. So I thought that was cool. I don't know. She's definitely not Haven, you think, like Serene, and it's just absolutely the opposite. So we got, we got duped on that one <laughs> she she definitely is not kaya no no definitely no, not no anyway. what you'll be hearing that name in the future mm. in the wrong pages of the newspaper 
<laughs> Haven, it's not Haven. Haven Leech, watch out. <laughs> <laughs> Lindsay, thanks okay. for You're joining welcome. me. You're welcome. Let's go do a kid's clinic. Yeah, let's do it. And that's it for this episode of the Racket Magazine podcast. Thanks for listening. Our host is Renee Stubbs. Our co-host and producer is me, Caitlin Thompson. Music by internationally renowned DJ Stretch Armstrong. Thanks to Tim Ruggieri, Taylor Dalton, and the team at Acast. Find us at racketmag.com slash podcast and subscribe to us at any of your favorite podcatchers. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.